Open your fridge to find a tiny Sam Jackson. It's time for Pod Cusack. Cusack Nate. It's me, your host, Matt Strickland, and I have an incredible pod Cusack for you today. It's a very special episode. That's right. We're talking 1408. And when I say we, I mean me, because I will be doing this solo. Yes. Much like John Cusack in the film 1408, I will have no one to act off of, bounce ideas off of. This is me. You're getting pure uncut Matt on pure uncut cues. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I would also like to say up top that if there is any background noise, I do apologize for it. Mary is in the other room watching The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. She has been watching it for about eight minutes now and has already cried twice. She cried once during the trailer and she cried a second time uh, when a woman in one of the early scenes was getting her hair done. So I don't know what that's all about. Uh, I guess I got to check The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel out. It seems to be a real tearjerker. But what we're talking about here today is the Stephen King adaptation, 1408, starring John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, but mainly John Cusack, and directed by Mikhail Halstrom. Mikhail Halstrom, of course, everyone knows him from films like Escape Plan, starring Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. His filmography leaves some uh, to be desired, mainly good movies. Uh, Vendetta, Evil, Drowning Ghost, Derails, The Right. I mean, these are movies I've never seen nor heard of. I would say 1408 is probably his biggest film. So basically, my thought process was, this is a movie where John Cusack spends 90% of the movie by himself in a hotel room. Sure, there are actors that pop in here and there. There's voices on the phone, but it is a one-man show for all intents and purposes. Uh, Much like A Castaway and I Am Legend, the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds, it's these showcases for acting talent. So I thought, why not do a pure showcase for podcasting talent? So this is what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about the movie based on the Stephen King short story, 1408. Um, The movie is fine. Uh, We'll get, you know, we'll get to my, I have issues with the movie, which we will get to. Um, But is it worth spending money on to rent? I don't know. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll circle back at the end. Before we get into the plot, let's of course go through our stats. The movie came out in 2007. And now we're generally in a a Stephen King renaissance. You know, after It made a shit ton of money at the box office, we've got Dark Tower, we got The Stand, we got all these adaptations of his books, a ton of stuff on Netflix. Mike Flanagan's making a a number of movies and shows based on Stephen King. So we're in the midst of the renaissance. When this movie came out, 2007, you're coming off stuff like Secret Window with Johnny Depp, Dreamcatcher with Morgan Freeman, you know, the 
the sequel to the Carrie movie, Hearts in Atlantis. Like it was the most successful Stephen King adaptations re- recently were stuff like The Green Mile and The Shining. These there wasn't a pretty successful horror movie adaptation for a while. So it wasn't like his name had a lot of cachet at this particular moment in time. Um, so it's actually sort of surprising when this movie was huge. It made 71 at the domestic box office, 71 million, 132 million worldwide on a $25 million budget. So this is another one of the movies like Serendipity when we covered that on the podcast where I'm sort of shocked by how popular Cusack's movies have been. He's been in a lot of big movies. This was a he is a star. I've I've really undersold what a movie star he is, I think over the course of this podcast so far. And he, you know, I don't know if people were just in the mood for a horror movie. It didn't come out around Halloween. This movie came out in June. Um but it was a it was a really big success. It it is 80% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which is great. Um so I don't know. It's 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 interesting in Cusack's filmography. Uh, it's sort of the only straight horror movie he's done. I guess Identity is you know I think of it more as a thriller than a horror movie, but it's sort of in that zone, uh, which is actually sort of he's coming off previous episodes: Identity, Runaway Jury, Ice Harvest, and then he makes uh, The Contract, Grace is Gone, and then this. So I guess. Runaway Jury, 2003, that was a hit. Um, Ice Harvest was not really a hit, so he's in a little bit of a slump. I don't know if you could have called this a comeback movie, but it's it's probably his biggest hit since Serendipity. But let's talk about the Cusack number. The Cusack number of this movie is one. Only one Cusack shows up. Joan is ne'er to be seen. But that's okay because we get... 90 minutes of pure uncut John. It is it really is a tour de force performance and I do think he is very good in in the movie. He uh the movie itself is so-so, but John he delivers, man. He's good by himself in that room slowly going crazy. I would say this is a movie more in, along the lines of Jacob's Ladder, that kind of horror movie, more of like a mind fuck what's reality, what's not. It's not actually all that scary. Um but let's just get into it. Gerald Olin, manager of the Dolphin. If I can just get the key to 1408. In the 95 years of the hotel's existence, there have been 56 deaths in 1408. 56. No one's ever lasted more than an hour. The first victims to Kevin O'Malley. Cut his own throat. Do not stay in that room. Don't you love me anymore? 
We open on a dark and stormy night. Boom. What is this? Identity? All right. This sounds good. Great setting for a horror movie. Dark, stormy. I'm in. Let's go. Cusack's driving a car. The car radio is playing some, you know, uber right-wing religious fundamental shit. And that's how we know as the audience, oh, he must be in the middle of nowhere. That's the only, even though that kind of shit plays everywhere. But that's like the movie thing. It's like when you see a character in a movie open their fridge and they only have like Chinese, one thing of Chinese takeout in there. It's like, oh, you're single. You're not in a great place at your, in your life. There are these little movie tricks that, you know, when someone coughs, that's how you know they, they have cancer and they're going to die. These little move, the movie language that tells you things without actually telling you. You hear fundamentalist on the radio. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He pulls up to an Airbnb. He checks in. And the people behind the counter are excited. They're ecstatic to see this guy. It turns out Cusack is a famous writer. And he is a paranormal investigator. And he's showing up at this couple's bed and breakfast because they're very excited uh, to have him there. He writes about haunted places. And they're, you know, hoping that he'll write about their hotel and it turns out he gives, you know, he goes around the country, visits hotels, gives them like a skull rating. Oh, that gets five skulls. It was pretty scary. And so, you know, they're doing like a touristy thing, like come to our hotel. It's haunted. He goes in. He's nonplussed about the whole thing. You get the sense that maybe this isn't what he wanted to do with his life. He's a writer, but he probably had higher aspirations than, you know, the history of haunted hotels, the 10 most haunted hotels, bullshit, ghost survival guides, the stuff he's writing. He gets up to his room. He starts drinking a mini, immediately starts drinking from the mini bar. So, you know, he's not in the best place in his life. He's, I will say, though, smart ass, sarcastic, sort of downtrodden writer is the perfect job for Cusack to have in a movie you know what I mean he's you know we've talked he's not really an action star like he's he's a U.S. Marshal in Con Air but that's not you don't he doesn't immediately scream that as an actor you know writer architect these are baseball coach (laughs) like these are the roles that Cusack these are the, the occupations that Cusack's characters it feels good for him to have Cusack he he has he radiates intelligence in his movies. That's why writer is perfect because he seems when Cus you know a lot of actors they'll like I'm a psychiatrist I'm a scientist and they rattle off some science jargon in the movie and it doesn't they don't sell it you know they don't you don't really believe I feel like Cusack he sells his intelligence that's I think one of his main skills as an actor so we really buy him as a writer. He sleeps over at this Airbnb. He writes a review. Bing, bang, boom. Um, He shows up the next day at a book signing, ill attended. So he's successful enough to be, you know, a best-selling writer, but he doesn't have like a rabbit. This isn't Eric Roth. This isn't Stephen King, you know? (laughs) Um, So he signs for his meager group of fans they want to know what he's the scariest place he's ever been he makes some jokes but one girl brings a book up to him it's called the long road home it's his novel it's it's clearly intimating she's like is it based on anything he takes a long pause he says no it's clearly based on his life it's uh 
it, it, it's, it wasn't, she mentions it, she got it on eBay. It wasn't worth very much. So it's clearly, he wrote one novel, took everything out of him and he's never written, he never tried to write anything like that again, but it in, intimates he has experienced some kind of trauma in his life. Then he then goes surfing, gets injured. He washes up on the Cusack surfing is not like a image that you would see really but we do know he is like sort of a world-class kickboxer so he's a good athlete but he doesn't look like a natural on a surfboard eddie vetter he is not but he gets injured he washes up on the beach we sort of get a glimpse into his life he's sort of a surfer bum he lives alone he he has a uh, p.o box where he goes to pick up his mail so this is sort of the life he's he's living he gets his mail one of the things is a postcard. It says, don't enter 1408. Ooh, very spooky. It's a postcard with the Dolphin Hotel in New York on it. Don't enter 1408. He immediately adds up 1408. It, it adds up to 13. Ooh, spooky. Let's cue the spooky music. 1408. It adds up to 13. This is going to get spooky. And as we know, you know, most hotel rooms, they don't have a 13th floor. So the 14th floor is actually the 13th floor. Lucky number 13. Here we go. Who sent this postcard? We don't know. Cusack clearly thinks it was someone trying to entice him to go into 1408 because, you know, you write about these hotels. They're haunted. It's a boost for sales. Um, so he calls up, tries to make a date, tries to, to book 1408. They say, that room is unavailable, sir. And he's like, I didn't tell you which date I wanted to book. He immediately gets hung up on. He calls his editor. His editor, you know, pulls some strings. And then, but he's also like, are you sure you want to go back to New York, John Cusack? Because of all that happened there. And he's like, don't worry, I'll be in and out. No one will get hurt. So another intimation, maybe some, some trauma in Cusack's past. He says he'll be fine. He goes to the hotel. And when he tries to check in, a little message shows up on the bottom of the computer at check-in. It says, alert the manager. This is a beautiful sort of midtown hotel. You know, we're talking like the Carlisle, which they name check in the movie. It's that kind of hotel, you know, in the 60s, in Manhattan, old 30s, you know, around there when it was built, maybe earlier. Um big beautiful ornate hotel cusack is wearing a blazer on top of a hawaiian shirt looking a little schlubby but looking cool it's the exact kind of outfit i wish i could pull off manager shows up it's fucking samuel L. jackson let's go hell yes he takes him into a private conversation in his office Samuel Jackson mentions that Cusack, there's no smoking. Cusack has a cigarette behind his ear. Cusack says, oh, I don't smoke. It's, you know, it's for the end of the world. I quit a long time ago. It's, I just carry it around as like a superstitious thing. Oh, I wonder if he's going to smoke that by the end of the movie. Sam Jackson says, please do not stay in the hotel. You can stay in a different room in the hotel. Please do not stay in 1408. We don't want you in there. Uh, no one has ever lasted more than an hour. Cusack doesn't believe him. He thinks this is all part of the salesmanship. He said he thinks Samuel Jackson was the one who sent him the postcard. Samuel Jackson says, no, I just don't want to clean up the mess. 
and Cusack's like, no, I know, I know, I know. There's been four deaths. Samuel Jackson's like, no, there's been 56 deaths total. Whoa. Now that piques Cusack's interest. He's interested. Samuel Jackson offers him all the inside scoop, all the details on every death in the room. It's just a gold mine for his book. All he has to do is not stay in the room. Cusack says, no, I want to stay in the room. And this is actually a really good scene, Cusack and Samuel Jackson going rat-a-tat. And it makes me w- wish that Cusack had 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 more scenes over the course of his career with partners like Samuel Jackson, people who could really keep up with his his fast-paced dialogue. And they go back and forth. It's a, it's, it's a pretty good scene. Um Cusack says, I'm not scared. I want to stay in the room. I know there is no ghosts. I know there is no God. And and so that's when we know, we know like sort of Cusack's whole philosophy. He's a paranormal debunker more than he is an investigator because he doesn't, he's never seen a ghost. He doesn't give a shit. He also doesn't believe in God, probably because of this trauma. Hello. Samuel Jackson then says, I don't want you going in there because it's an evil fucking room and then you're just like fuck yeah samuel l jackson even though this is pg-13 he gets to say the word fuck everyone knows samuel jackson's favorite word motherfucking snakes uh etc i have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane samuel jackson warns and warns and warns him he goes up into the hotel he's walking around and the second he gets off the elevator Something is creepy. And here's where we really get the Shining vibes. Obviously, the Shining is the other big Stephen King hotel movie, ghost movie. Um, I think comparisons to The Shining probably are would be inevitable with a movie like this. But I think the movie obviously makes a mistake at having so many overt references. They mention one of the characters who died in the room was named Grady, obviously a Shining reference. And... When I'm watching this movie, I definitely don't want to be thinking about The Shining because then I'll just be thinking, oh, I'd rather be watching The Shining. You know, if you're not going to come to the table with a lot of stuff, don't make a lot of references to far superior movies. Um, But we start getting those and those sort of continue throughout the entire movie. But right when he gets off the elevator on the 14th floor, Something is amiss. We vaguely see out of the corner of the frame a woman pushing a bassinet, but it looks like a really old baby bassinet, you know, from like the 50s, sort of like, oh, this is, was that a ghost? I don't know. Something's going on. Then, then now we're at minute 26 in the movie, and this is where Cusack really gets to shine because like all the other actors sort of fall away, and from now on, it's this is the Cusack movie. Other people pop in for like, Split seconds here or there, voice on the phone, Skype on the computer, what you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but this is, it's Cusack's movie from now on. Um, he Minute 26, he enters the titular room 1408, room number 13 on the 13th floor. You know what I mean? And Cusack walks in. This is it? He's like, you know, he's unimpressed. He does not... Get, you know, he doesn't get scared. The wallpaper is a light blue. There's flowers on it. It's not that creepy, painfully dull paintings, he says. But he pops out a big bottle of whiskey, and he's ready to go. He's sort of chilling. He's got this voice uh, recorder. He's, you know, recording some stuff in for his book. He's just like, you know, whatever. I, I've done this a million times. I'm not nervous. Suddenly, the clock radio turns itself on. 
and it plays The Carpenters. Carpenters is a perfect band. Yacht rock, in general, I think is very spooky. Soft rock is very spooky. It's a little bit like Kubrick using Singing in the Rain in Clockwork Orange, although I really like Singing in the Rain don't like The Carpenters all that much. But it's you get that soft rock creepiness. Um, the juxtaposition of just like the soft rock with the hotel. It's just, it adds a level of creep. That, that's a, the first spooky thing. Cusack goes into the bathroom. The toilet paper is folded like up under it, under itself in that like really fancy hotel way. He takes off a piece to like wipe his brow. Then he looks back at it and it's refolded itself. Ooh. Cusack still is like, uh, what? Like he stepped out of the room when it was refolding itself. So it's like, oh, someone's trying to play a trick on me. He still doesn't know. There's a baby crying next door. A mother's voice is singing. Sort of the air of creep. Cue the creepy music. The air of creepy is sort of falling over the film. Um, it's that classic thing where like a baby cries, and it's like, why are always like young kids scary? And I think it's because virgins are scary. Uh, non-sexual things are scary. Children and old people are, you know, the, the closest to non-existence at either end of the spectrum. And sex is, you know, the life giver. Sex brings life. So I think if, once you, if you take away any sexuality from a character, it's much easier to make those things creepy. Um, obviously, old people are going to die soon, so that's creepy. Death is scary. Because uh, as we know from Cusack, there is no God. Cusack starts investigating. He brings out the black light, which is something I've never done in a hotel room. It's like Room Raider style. I'm sure it would be horrifying. I just wouldn't want to see, much like less than the room, I wouldn't want to see like stuff on me. I'd be like, oh my God, these pants are filthy. Oh my God, what did I touch? You know, that kind of stuff. But he's investigating spectrometers, oral philometers, flux crumb monitors, all the stuff. He's like trying to find these ghosts if they exist. I will say there's some cool camera stuff. Like he's in one part of the hotel room, like there's a living room part and a bedroom part. And like when he's in the living room part, there's some French doors, you know, which are reflective. So there's a lot of like what's in the reflection. The, the 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 window curtains billow in, and you see the reflection in the French doors, which I had to rewind a couple of times to see exactly what it was. But it's a nice touch because it's just like things are moving in the frame that aren't Cusack and what are they? And it just adds a level of uh, spooky. Adds a level of spooky. So Cusack is very hot in the room. He calls down to the front desk. We hear the front desk woman's voice. So that's how we identify that voice, which comes back later in the film. They are like, we'll send up a electrician or an engineer to fix your thermostat. And this is just another opportunity for them when the electrician or the engineer gets up there. It just shows you how seriously the people at the hotel take it. He, he was like, I'll talk you through it. I won't even enter the room. And I feel like the, the beginning of the movie is definitely the best part of the movie. It's, it, it does a good job of like building tension with these things. Like Sam Jackson explaining the history of the hotel is really, really good. It, 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 sets, the, it sets the mood in a, pretty, in a pretty nice way. Um, he helped uh, this engineer helps Cusack set the thermostat. But 
the second Cusack turns back around, the guy's gone. He won't stay a, stay a second longer. He wouldn't even stay for a tip. Wouldn't stay a second longer than he had to. Uh, played by Isaiah Whitlock, who is, you know, he, he plays Clay Davis in The Wire, who is, you know, shit. Um, and the, the actor is Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who's great. Um, so it's nice to see him pop up. Um, but then he leaves really quickly. The second he leaves, boom, the radio turns on again, and uh, it's the Carpenters. You guessed it. Very scary. The scariest soft rock band of the 70s, just edging out some of the Eagles' spookier stuff. Um, But this time, the clock radio goes to 60 and starts counting down 59, you know, uh, 59 colon 59 seconds it's set to an hour so it's counting down from an hour which is that's really scary because sam jackson said no one ever lasts an hour in this room then all of a sudden cusack's ears start ringing he can't hear anything he opens the window and he can't even hear the city of new york and actually when he's looking out over new york it made me think like why aren't more horror movies set in the city it's very it's a i think a really underused obviously it's isolation is easier to achieve if it's like a mansion in the woods but there's a lot of you know i live in new york city and a lot of times i'm scared and not just from crime you know i'm scared of ghosts the subway alone at night is scary the subway platform and again it's not because of like the dangers of the city the real life dangers the, the, the city is really spooky you know i think Candyman is one of the only horror movies set in a city i mean i know the exorcist is technically georgetown but it's it's much more of like a suburban feel same thing with rosemary's baby is i guess technically but that's i don't know i think there could be a lot more like fully urbanized use utilizing the urban environment to 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 create some spooky things i think it's you know worth trying seven i guess is another one but that's like you know it's more of that's more of a crime movie than a horror movie even though it is very scary but uh i think there should be more city set horror movies tweet at me at strict bomb if you could think of more because i'm having a hard time coming up with them besides Candyman, Candyman's the main one you know there he uses like the public restroom is really scary scene you know the projects and everything um but if you if you can think of any more actual like horror movies that utilize the urban environment, Mimic does it in a nice way. You know that's a creature feature. It's not like a ghosty horror movie, but Mimic is is that's a good one. Um, but yeah, tweet at me at Strickbond if you can think of more. But yeah, Cusack he can't hear anything. He uh, and I will say that the escalation of the horror in this movie is good because he's alone in the room and there's no like interpersonal you know communication with another actor it gets to just be like all right the the thing you know the clock radio turns on boom the window slams on his hand he tries to wash his hands and it immediately it's like one thing after the other uh starts getting creepier the creepy stuff happens in quick succession which i really liked in the beginning um but then maybe becomes a detriment later on so because it sort of like loses steam uh for the third act the third act of this movie is pretty lame so after the, the window slams on his hand, he starts bleeding pretty bad. And that's when he's just like, fuck this. You win. I want out. I want to get out of this room. He goes to the door. The knob turn comes off in his hand. The key breaks off of the door. Now he starts getting scared. Now shit 
is real. He wants to get out of here, but he can't. He sees someone, he starts waving out the window, trying to get someone's attention. He sees someone across the street waving back to him, mimicking his movements. Oh my God, it's him. And then he gets, starts, then he's attacked by a ghost. The him across the street is attacked by a ghost and he turns and he's being attacked by the same ghost. Oh no, it's real. Cusack, it's real. He throws the lamp out the window, trying to get someone's attention. It The lamp disappears midair. Something's funky but then he's like oh my god the booze that i've been drinking sam jackson gave me this booze i ate one of the chocolates from the pillow he's like that's it i've been drugged clearly so that calms him down a little because he you know he's now like oh it's not ghosts it's drugs but he starts to get really upset when the tv turns on and it's his home videos it's him and then what we presume is his ex-wife and their daughter. And that's when we're like, oh, of course he had a daughter. His daughter's now dead. That's the trauma that it, in the movie's been alluding to. And then he looks over and now, now we're starting to see ghosts. And it's, they're not super scary. They're not like, you know, pale-faced ghosts. It's just regular sort of old-timey ghosts, uh, similar to the ones in The Shining. Another reference that sort of is an ill-advised comp- forced comparison between the two but the thing is these ghosts are cgi it's like they put like an adobe premiere fake film effect like film scratches and film hairs and stuff and it's just terrible it's cgi is just the only thing scary about cgi is like the irishman when it's like trying to look real you know it's that uncanny valley stuff cgi to me just can't look scary it's too you just know it was made in a computer, you, you know, no matter how, especially when it's a person, it just never looks good. And that's right there. The movie just sort of loses me and it never really got me back despite Cusack's performance, which, like I said earlier, is really, really good. Um, but Cusack starts to see these CGI ghosts and he starts to really lose his mind. And this is when there's a lot of like that Jacob's Ladder type stuff of the what is real, what is not real, is he you know, going crazy, is it, is he, was he drugged, you know, the sink runneth over with blood, oh, that's just, you know, one more shining reference, um, it feels honestly like a stage play in a lot of ways, uh, the camera does some stuff trying to zhuzh it up and, like, make it more cinematic than, uh, than a stage play, but it's, it doesn't do much more, um, the walls start to bleed, Another shining thing. Um, not that the walls bled in the shining, but just, you know, it's referencing like the, the elevator and the blood pouring out. Um, uh, he tries to escape out the window. All the other windows have disappeared off the building. It's just brick walls. Um, a lot of green screen. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of like him trying to climb out the window and scale the building, but it's horrible green screen. Um, it's like I could do better with Adobe Premiere and After Effects right now than this movie uh, back in, you know, this big budget movie back in 2007. Um, he listens back to his tape that he's been recording and the tape is now different. We see flashbacks of him with his wife, him with his little girl. He webcams his ex-wife and he's like, please send the cops. 
people are trying to kill me. And his ex-wife's like, you're not making any sense. It's like, I don't know how I could be more clear. Send the cops. People are trying to kill me. I can't get out of the room. That's pretty clear. You're not making sense, John. Um, and then we just get a lot of scenes that are like sort of mindfuck scenes. Like he crawls into the vents and he's looking through the vents and he's seeing like like things from his past, like scenes from his past, Christmas Carol style, uh, which is ironic because he runs into a ghost in the vents, which looks exactly like the first ghost that Bill Murray meets in Scrooged. Um, <laughs> again, just like not very scary. I mean, it looks identical to that ghost. Um, there's a chase scene through the vents. I mean, Mikhail Hausstrom is just not a very good director. So anytime like he manages to make a little tension, it's completely dissipated with like really goofy effects. Um, he goes back to the room. He opens the fridge and sees a very tiny Samuel L. Jackson on a green screen. Um, who's just like exposition ghost and he like pops up and he's like, well, let me explain to the audience exactly what happened to you and where you are in the story. Um, and it's really, really bad. He opens the Bible to pray. It's all blank, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if I even need to like go beat for beat. What, what happened in the movie? Um, just a lot more like quote unquote spooky stuff. Uh, his daughter's, his dead daughter's nightgown comes out through the fax machine, which I, I have always thought is, you know, the scariest of all telecom devices. Uh, the room is now covered in snow. Cusack builds a fire in the middle of the room to keep his, you know, to keep himself warm. Um, the ex-wife pops back on the laptop and says, the cops are in 1408 right now. Where are you? It's like, oh no, he's like fully gone into the ghost dimension. He talks to his wife. You know, they have this heartfelt moment. He's trying to apologize. She says, I can be there in 15 minutes. He looks at the, the clock with the counting down clock and it says 14 minutes left. And he's like, oh no, that's not enough time. But then we see like the person... You know, when you're zooming, you see like the little you in the corner. We see that that's now become an evil Cusack. And that evil Cusack is like, wife, come to the room. Come to 1408. Um, and Cusack's like, no, no, don't come. So that sort of sets up the tension in the back half of the movie because the wife is now coming to... So Cusack's got to figure out the problem with the room before the wife shows up. And she, like you know, fully uh, it meets the same fate and is trapped in this ghost room. Anyway, he the room starts to fall apart, like fully earthquake style. It's cracked through the middle. It's raining in the room. Water's rushing in. Oh, my God. And then, boom, Cusack wakes up. He's back on the beach. Remember, he had a surfboard accident. Oh, my God. It was all a dream. Yes, it was all a dream. My least favorite twist, the... St. Elsewhere twist. Actually, the St. Elsewhere twist is great because it was all a dream in the, the head of a kid looking at a snow globe is a pretty good twist for all of TV. Um, look up the St. Elsewhere TV theory because St. Elsewhere is like, they've connected it to like Law and Order and the X-Files and like there's a theory that all of TV is contained inside this kid's snow globe in St. Elsewhere. But I digress. It was all a dream. He has dinner with his ex-wife who came to see him in the hospital in California. Um, he finishes a new book. He reconciles with his dad in a nursing home. All, you know, all this stuff happens. 
And this is one of the big problems with the movie is it like goes right as this horror movie, presumably, you know, quote unquote horror movie is supposed to be crescendoing. It There's this huge break where he's just living his life, reconciling with the people in his life. And it's just, it really grinds the film to a halt, especially when he starts having deja vu and oh my god who could have seen that coming he's actually not back in california he's still in the room it was a bait and switch um and then you know the room starts showing him even more like visions of his past he he finally though gets to see the ghost of his daughter and just as they're about to reconcile the ghost of his daughter turns to dust and it's like oh my god another bait and switch which is like emotionally the movie just does it twice in a row (laughs) it's like you're reconciling with your wife you're reconciling with your daughter they're both fake it's just like you just did the same beat again right when it should be like the most scary you know part of the movie which is disappointing but basically he gets a call on the phone, it's the woman's voice from earlier, and she basically says, we can't kill you because you have free will, but you can either live the same horrifying hour of your life over and over and over, or kill yourself. He starts to see ghostly visions of how he might kill himself. The phone melts in like sort of a practical effect kind of way, which is really cool. Um, but then basically Cusack says, I'm not gonna if I'm gonna kill myself, I'm gonna take you down with me. And lights a Molotov cocktail off in the room and burns the room down. Just as his ex-wife gets to the hotel and you know the fire alarms go off and everyone's outside and they're all looking up as Cusack is sort of burning this evil room down. Then this is where I remember he lived when because I had seen this movie, I think in the movie theater you know, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. Um, But this is where the movie sort of diverged. And what I realized is that there are three different endings to the movie. There was one that was in theaters, and then there was a different one on the DVD, and then there's a third one, which is like a a deleted scene on the DVD. So the movie, the ending that I saw in theaters, he lives and reconciles with his wife, but then his wife still doesn't believe in ghosts until she hears the daughter, the ghost's, the daughter's ghost voice on Cusack's little voice recorder. And it's like, oh, there is an afterlife. Our daughter's okay, and we're back together. That's what I remember from the movie theater. And that is the, that was the theatrical ending. But the ending, what I watched, because I rented it on iTunes, the ending of this, um, which I think is slightly better, is everyone is at Cusack's funeral And then Samuel L. Jackson shows up to return personal effects to the wife, the ex-wife. And he says, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's like, he didn't die in vain. You know, we can never rent that room out again. It's good. Samuel L. Jackson's been trying to, like, close off that room forever. Um, You know, he's sort of the gatekeeper. He's the hotel manager. Um, But then we get a classic, like, Samuel L. Jackson in his car. He looks in his rearview mirror. And, oh, my God, it's a burnt-up ghost of John Cusack. That classic rearview mirror, you know, ghost pop jump scare scene. Um, 
And then we cut back to the hotel room and we see the ghosts of John Cusack reconcile with the ghost of his daughter. And it's like, oh, his ghost still haunts the room, but at least he's reconciled with the daughter. Uh, and that is 1408. It's, you know, I know I skipped over a lot of the back half, but not much happens in the back half. It's just like one thing after another. It's like, oh, Cusack was spooked by a mirror. Oh, Cusack was spooked by the toilet. Oh, Cusack yelled at himself. He cried a little. He remembered his dead daughter. It's just, it's a lot of repetition. And I will say that like Cusack is great. His performance is really good. Um, But the movie itself is blah. It's blah. I'm just going to come out and say it. It's blah. Um, But that's the movie. Uh, So let's get into some segments. I don't have pod Cusack. We talk about checked in Cusack, checked out Cusack, Nick Cage Cusack. Was he checked in, checked out, or was he going completely over the top ham and cheese, Nick Cage style? I gotta say, uh, he was checked in. This is a great Cusack performance. It's one of the better ones. It's it, it's maybe a top 10 performance that he's given. Um, it's great. Next segment, Q-Snack. Was he a snack in this movie? I gotta say, despite me loving that outfit blazer on top of a hawaiian shirt uh i will say probably not a snack we've reached puffy cues you know the puff the puffy cusack portion of his life which you know no judgment we're all gonna get there one day i'm sure i weigh more than he's ever weighed in his life right now um but no i would say not a snack is this one of the movies, the 10 movies that Cusack likes? Uh, as we know, he told The Guardian in 2017, I've made 10 good films. I'm sure you know which ones they are. The ones that suck, I tend to blank out. It's like I never even made them. So, do I think that this is one of the 10 movies that he likes? Um, you know, he... <sighs> It's inter- it's an interesting question because I would say it's one of his 10 best performances, but do I think he thinks it's a good movie? No, I do not. I think he probably had a fun time working with Sam Jackson because who wouldn't? Um, but yeah, I would say probably safely this is not one of his faves. This is a segment called Coffee, Tea, Me. segment is named after the woman who spoke those famous words in the film Working Girl, Joan Cusack. This segment is recasting one part with Joan Cusack. Who would she play? So I think the obvious answer would be Sam Jackson because that's the only other role with any like meat on it in the movie. Because it is, like I said, mostly a Cusack one-man show. But if I had my choice, Joan has such a distinct voice. I think it'd be fun to make her the voice on the radio or on the um, the phone, who we never see. But it would be like, oh my God, that's Joan Cusack. On you know, you you would recognize her voice pretty pretty quickly. And I think that that's the move. Put her, make her the voice on the phone. I mean, she would be great as the hotel manager, but. I think the voice on the phone would be more interesting. Um, Let's go trivia. In the standard edition of the DVD, the film runs exactly 104 minutes and 8 seconds, uh, which is not exactly 1408, but it is an anagram, I guess. 
referencing it. It's weird. Uh, Keanu Reeves was the original lead in the movie. He was originally attached to play the lead. Uh, I think I'm glad Cusack did it as much. I love Keanu Reeves. I think I like him more as an actor than Cusack. Um, and he's done the, you know, the traumatic thing, you know, John Wick, he's sort of mourning the death of his wife, but that's like a quiet sadness, which I don't think would have worked. He's, he's not, he's not really good at emoting loudly Keanu, you know, he plays it. He was much more as like a cool, quiet type. Uh, and Cusack has a lot of that classic Cusack yell in the movie, which, uh, I think it really works. Uh, so I'm glad Cusack played uh, the role. This is for the uh, the video editors out there. Uh, most of the footage was shot on location exclusively for the film, but a lot of the st- a lot of it was stock footage from Getty Images, which any videos out- video editors out there know <laughs> you have to pull stock from Getty all the time. And I'm really it makes a lot of sense because the movie is it doesn't look great. So I'm sure anytime there's a skyline scene or maybe even some of the old timey people that are ghosts were stock stock images uh which you know you get what you pay for i guess last bit of trivia is the um the axe that the fireman uses to break down the hotel door at the end of the movie is the same axe jack nicholson used in the shining both movies were also shot at the same studio elstray in london now a lot of this trivia on imdb gets uploaded by users and that one, it's very cool. But my first instinct is to not believe that. But I think that would be really a cool. And if this movie was better, it would be even cooler. Because right now it's just like, all right, well, The Shining's awesome. This movie's whatever. Um, yeah. All right, let's just, let's let's finish this pod, pod off. Things I like, things I don't like things I think are weird. Let's finish this pot off. Things I like, things I don't like, things I think are weird. Things I like. I really liked Cusack's performance. I really liked the chemistry in the one scene he had with Samuel L. Jackson where they go back and forth. I think it's great. Um, I, I think I'd like to see a whole movie. They do. They did do one other movie together, Cell, which is also based on a Stephen King story, um, which we will eventually cover on this podcast. So I'm interested to see if they have more if having more screen time, they that, that chemistry still exists, because I think it's good here. Um, yeah, really like Cusack. Um, trying to think of what else I liked from the movie. I mean, he's the main attraction, to be sure. This movie is not great. There's one jump scare at the end that's good. Things I don't like. I don't like the direction. I don't think it looks good. I don't think it's scary. There's like maybe one sequence where tension building is really effective. The others, it's just, it's too bright, you know? I I really don't like a horror movie that's too bright unless brightness is the point, like a Midsommar. You know, I'm a horror movie buff. I love horror movies. Um, This one is just, it's not very scary. I mean, maybe this would be good for like a 10 to 12-year-old because it's not that scary and it's not really violent, um, maybe a good entry into the horror movie genre. But yeah, I gotta say, I don't really recommend this film. Things I think are weird. 
I guess it's weird that the you know it's implied that the hot the ghosts sent Cusack the postcard that brought him there in the first place that piqued his interest. Uh, I just can't think of ghosts like getting their hands on postage, uh, or or postcards. Like where I mean, are they sort of lifting them from the hotel? gift shop is there a gift shop there's not gift shops in a fancy hotel like that is there um but i do like that kind of stuff in movies like in house on haunted hill the ghosts sent emails to people which i think is very funny i think it was very it was a very like 1998 to 2005 thing to have like ghosts over the internet like ghosts and technology they were trying to merge a lot during that like when the the world wide web was first getting blowing up um so i think that's what i think is weird i I guess yeah the postage thing would i recommend this movie no is it the worst movie in the world no it's fine the movie is fine if you if it's halloween and you want to you don't like horror movies but you want to feel a little bit spooked i think that this is the movie for you if you want to watch something with your mom because the stories that Samuel L. Jackson tells about the history of the hotel, th- those are good, and they set the tone, and they're creepy. So just listening to him tell stories about haunted hotel rooms, like if Samuel L. Jackson had a podcast called Haunted Hotel Rooms, that would fucking rock. Um, so it's that kind of movie. Like, watch with your mom. If it's on TV, you could you could do worse. You know, it's better than, like, a college football game. Uh, but, yeah, it's not... Wouldn't recommend. Um, and that's Pod Cusack. You can find me at Strict Bomb on Twitter. You know, I gotta say this this podcast is a lot more fun when you have guests, much like what I imagine fourteen oh eight is. Um, John, we miss you. We love you. Stay safe out there. Johnny, Johnny,